Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for your kind welcome. And it's a real pleasure and a privilege and a responsibility to be with you this morning and to share in your worship. Now, just before we turn to God's Word, could we just once more just quieten our hearts in His presence and pray together? Our Father, we thank you for bringing us together like this today. We thank you for the thoughts that have already been given to us concerning yourself and your glory and your presence and your will. And we pray now that as we come to your word that you will speak to us and that you will bless us. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So our reading this morning is in Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to read just a few verses together. And um, they are the words of the Lord Jesus himself. So let me just read them to you. And I think, um, I think they've appeared here uh, on the screen as well. So this is Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the, the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Amen. And God will bless the reading of his word to us today. Now I want to speak to you a little bit today about the condition of our world. And the condition of ourselves. And what God has to say about that. And what God has done and can do about that. So first of all, I want to join the chairman in wishing you all a happy new year. And he said uh, a happy and a blessed new year, so I sign up to that as well. There's no question whatever that our world is in a state of restlessness. I don't see how anyone could disagree with that. The world is really in a turmoil Almost everywhere you turn, on every news bulletin, it's the same story. There's something upset, something is uncertain, people are not sure what the future holds. There's a man called Donald Trump. Have you heard of him? Somebody shook their head. <laughs> He's the President of the United States, and one of the things that he has done 
is that he has created a lot of restlessness and uncertainty. And arrangements and treaties and whatever that the United States have made with different countries over generations, he's undoing them all. And he wants to unmake them and remake them. And I think it's fair to say it's caused a lot of uncertainty in the world. Not least in China. Not least in the economic world in which we live. Have you heard of something called Brexit? <laughs> Nobody shook their head that time. I think we've all heard about Brexit until we're pretty tired hearing about Brexit. But whatever Brexit means, it, it's uncertainty. And there is terrific restlessness associated with it. We're not sure where our parliament is trying to take us. And the future of this country and the future welfare, the prosperity of our children and our grandchildren are uncertain. We're just not sure what the future holds. But the Christian message is clear, and it's this, that our world will never find rest, peace, until it finds rest in God. Now that's a very simple statement, but that really is the Christian message. That our world will never be at peace until it finds peace with God. And we can do all kinds of things and make all sorts of treaties and unmake arrangements and remake arrangements and we'll never find peace until we find peace in God. And what's true at a national and an international level is also true at an individual level. Because people are, we're surrounded by people who are clearly uncertain and restless there's violence at every turn, even in our country. We're reading about a man who was murdered on a train in Surrey just a couple of days ago. We hear about knife attacks and terrorist attacks and cyber attacks. And I often say to my wife, we won't bother with the news, you know. We don't need any depression." And it seems that that's what the news is all about. It's all about how upset and unsure and turned in on itself and violent our society is. And it affects us as individuals, without a doubt. People struggle everywhere, in Bowness and in Pennycook, everywhere. They struggle with addictions, drug misuse, Alcohol misuse. There are things happening. There are gender issues that are upsetting the balance of marriage, which is the foundation of our society, and causing enormous unease and restlessness. The family, the basic unit of our society, is being dismantled. And the future flowing from that would not appear to be good. Mental health is a matter that has come to the top of the agenda in our government. 
I heard recently of an enormous research project undertaken with young people between the age of about 14 and 22. And in this age of the iPhone and all the rest of it and social media and uh, Instagram and Twitter and, you know, what this, what this particular project discovered was that one of the fundamental problems of our young people is loneliness. Now that has to be very ironic because the whole purpose of the, the social uh, media is to connect people. But what is happening is that young people aren't spending time getting to know one another face to face, speaking and listening. It's all done through the internet, through Wi-Fi. And a lot of them are lonely and they don't know where to turn and they're uncertain. The Christian message is clear. The individual will not find rest until he or she finds rest in God. That's the message of the Christian faith. Now, just before we turn to the passage of Scripture that we read together, let's just dwell on another thought. And this is something possibly that afflicts our young people more than older people, I don't know. But there are many people in our restless world today who say, there's no point in seeking rest in God because there is no God. And this message is often conveyed explicitly and implicitly in all kinds of ways. They say there is no God, so there is no hope in God. But the Bible says, and the Christians say, that the reason that people think there is no God is not that there is no God, it is that they do not know God. They have never known God. And in their absence of knowledge of God and awareness of God, they say there is no God. Last April, my wife and I received a, a super invitation to go to the city of Salzburg, which is in Austria. Never been before, maybe we'll never be again, but we were invited to the wedding of the granddaughter of friends that we have there. And um, it's a beautiful city and we went to the wedding and that was fine. But having gone that distance, we thought we'll spend a day or two and look around this place, so we did. Now, I, I, I suspect you know that one of the most famous people who was born in Salzburg, goes by the rather grand name of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. That's where he was born. And unsurprisingly, there's a museum to Mozart in Salzburg, and so we went to have a look. And one of the exhibits that uh, will remain with me always, I think, was this piece of paper, kind of parchmenty paper, and it was behind a glass in a glass case, of course, but written on the paper by the hand of Mozart was a piece of music. And I've thought about that such a lot. I mean, it was such a, an amazing thing to be looking at the very piece of paper that he wrote some of his marvellous music on. 
And on reflecting upon it, I think it's, it, it refers and connects to the notion that there is no God in this way. That that piece of paper is material. The paper is made of paper. <laughs> and paper has a chemistry. And the marks that are on it are made of ink, which in its turn has its chemistry. So that piece of paper is just marks, material marks on a material setting. But if that's all you think it is, that's devastating. Because it's more than that. It's the music. And if all we can see in this world is the material, however complex it may be, if that's always what a tragedy that is. And the people who say there is no God are really people who can only see the parchment, the paper, the ink, the marks, and they've never heard the music. They don't know God. They are not aware of God. And hence they say what they say. Atheism is not a sign of enlightenment it's a sign of impoverishment quite important for us to share that with young people you know and now when we come to this scripture that we read this morning the words of the Lord Jesus I want us just to take it one little step at a time and really let what the Lord has to say speak for itself. In verse 25 and 26, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us this, that the one we call Jesus knew God. He knows God. He's calling God his Father. He shares the life of God. Christian people have come to understand that he himself, the one we call Jesus, is the eternal Son of God. So if we live in a world that is restless because people can't find God, here is one who knows God. Here is one who is God. And he refers to him, he refers to God as the eternal Father, the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of the parchment and the marks, the author, but it's not so much the parchment and the marks that matter. It's the music that they speak of. And the things that our world speaks of and the things that the revelation and the Lord Jesus speak of have been hidden. It's possible to know God, but the way to know God is hidden. 
And the knowledge of God is hidden from people who seek to find God by their own efforts. You have hidden these things, this knowledge of God that brings the rest and the peace that we need. You have hidden them from the, and I'm tempted almost to put in the so-called wise and learned. These are the people who want to be constricted by what they can see and what they can touch. And they don't hear the music. They only see the parchment. That's all. And the truth of the matter is that we will never know God and we will never find God if we rely upon our own efforts, on our own wisdom, our own learning, our own study. Now, for me, that's a relief. Knowledge of God does not come as a result of our efforts. That's what Jesus is telling us. That's a vital knowledge. It's been hidden from the wise and the learned, and it's been revealed to them. It's been revealed to little children. Now, what does that mean? Little children are marked by certain things, and they are marked, they are unmarked by other things. They're unmarked by great knowledge. They don't have great knowledge. They don't have great learning. But they have other things that are very important. They have the ability to trust and to appreciate. How does a child get to know that it can trust its mother? The answer is by experiencing the care of the mother. Getting to know the mother. It is through personal experience that the knowledge comes. Not through wisdom and learning and study. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. It is through the open heart that the knowledge of God comes. The willingness to open up in trust and faith and reliance on who God is and what he has to say. That's exactly how children learn. That's exactly how children come to know the truths of life. Father, this is what you have been pleased to do. This is the way to get to know God. Not through wisdom or works or efforts or achievements, but through trusting, faithfulness. And he's also saying that you have revealed yourself. You see, it's not about God's search for man. It's about it's not it's not about man's search for God. It's about God's revelation to man. And it's in that revelation that the truth is conveyed. If God does not reveal himself to us, if we are not willing to listen, be quiet. And hear and see that revelation. Listen and be quiet and listen to the music. We will never understand the real meaning of the world. And of what God wants to do in it. It's his revelation that counts. Look at verse 27. 
All things have been committed to me by my Father, the Lord Jesus says. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, Revelation. The Lord Jesus has been given and has accepted responsibility to be the one who will reveal God to men and women. He will bring the music. He will give us the lift away from things that are purely material and temporal into things that are spiritual and eternal. He has accepted that responsibility. Everything has been committed to me by my Father. I have this responsibility to reveal God to you, to show God to you. And he then says this, Nobody knows the Son except the Father. Nobody knows the eternal Son except the eternal Father. And nobody knows the eternal Father except the eternal Son. What he's saying is that nobody can know God except God. Nobody knows God except God. And it's like a closed loop. It's only the Son who knows the Father. And it's only the Father who knows the Son. And the knowledge of God is caught and trapped within the being of God himself. And that would be the case if verse 27 didn't end the way it ends. I'm going to read it again. All things have been committed to me by my Father. I'm responsible. Now understand this. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And in that closed loop, you know, it's just prized open that little bit, that it's possible by coming to the Son and accepting the revelation of the Son of God, whom we call Jesus, that we can be accepted into that loop. And we can also begin to know the Father and know the Son. That's tremendous theology. And yet as Spurgeon says, it's so simple. It's so simple. There is no way to God except through this little window that is created by the person of Jesus. And by the revelation that he brings. How does that work? This is how it works. It works in two stages and we need to be very sure about this. This is verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Heavy laden is in one of the older translations. And I will give you rest. This is what our world doesn't have. And here is the promise of the one who accepts the responsibility 
to bring the knowledge of God to men and women. And he's saying, if you come to me with all your restlessness and your uncertainty about the world around you and about the things that affect your family and about the things that affect you personally, anxieties and worries, weaknesses, restrictions of humanity, all of which result from the lack of knowledge of God, a lack of communion with God, which is a definition of sin. You can bring all that to me, and I will give you rest. That is an astonishing promise. That if you come as a little child, not simple-minded, but simple-hearted, in faith to Jesus, he can give you rest. And the whole message of the Bible is just that. There is no other source of rest in the mind, in the soul, except in Jesus. We won't find it in church. The church is nothing if he's not there. We won't find it in learning or study. We won't find it in religion. Religion is nothing if he is not there. Come to Jesus and I will give you rest. This is the meaning of the cross of Calvary. This is the meaning of the ordeal of atonement. That working in dimensions of eternity, he is able to make it possible for God to accept you and me and give us the rest we need if we come in faith to him. That's what it means. Our world's full of people who are tired and burdened and the invitation is open to everyone. And the invitation is almost unconditional. I will give you rest. It's a gift. You won't have to work for it and you won't have to pay for it. And the reason you can't work for it and you can't pay for it is you don't have enough. But he had enough. The condition is this, that you have to come. And you have to come in faith to the only one who matters, Jesus Christ. And the knowledge of God will be known to you because he will reveal it to you when you come. Now that is the beginning of every Christian journey. Coming in faith to the Christ who died and rose again and issues this invitation. I don't know, there may be somebody here this morning who's never done that. You can do it now. You can do it now and find the rest that he promises. But that's not all that he had to say. If you look at verses 29 through 30, you'll see that having come in faith to receive the gift of forgiveness, of rest, of peace with God, he goes on to talk about another kind of rest. 
And he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At first sight, this is a puzzling thing. Because it's people who are burdened, who are yoked, if you like, that he's going to set free and give rest. That was the previous verse. And now he's talking about another kind of burden or another kind of yoke. What does this mean? Learning is a progressive thing. When you go to school on day one, you know, as a little person, you don't sit higher mathematics the next Tuesday. It takes time. And there is an aspect of rest. This is what the Lord is teaching us. There is an aspect of the rest that he gives that has to grow in us. It has to be affected and realized, that is to say, found to be real in our experience. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And this is lifelong learning from him. Not so much from one another or from books, but from him. And this yoke that he's speaking about is the willingness to become his pupil and to learn his discipline. You know that the word discipline comes from the Latin word discipulus, which means pupil, school pupil. That's what he's saying. The Christian life is a gift from God in the sense of we're accepted in Christ because of what Christ did. But it's a continuing gift from God in the sense that we more and more begin to understand and enter into who God is. And we find rest in our everyday activities as we deal with our children, as we deal with our grandchildren, as we deal with illness, as we deal with bereavement, as we deal with joys. You will find this rest to be a reality if you're willing to learn from me. It's not only come to me, it's learn from me. And some people, you know, they say, oh, well, I, I, I made a commitment, you know, I came. And they're not one bit different a year on than they were from the year before. Now, it would be extremely troubling to any educator, any teacher, if little Johnny in primary seven didn't know any more than he knew at the beginning of primary six. We need to grow in the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God, the acceptance, the entry into God is a gift that is given because of what Christ did on Calvary. But the development of that and the making that my own in my life, in my experience, is something that we learn day by day, walking with him, listening to him, accepting the teacher's discipline. Little Johnny doesn't like the teacher's discipline. And in Christian terms, often we don't like it either. We don't like the homework. But it's through these experiences that he 
helps us to find the rest that just settles everything and we know ourselves to be at home with God. I used to think that this verse somehow meant that I was like an ox. Well, I'm stupid enough to be an ox, but in a sense that is what it means, but it's, it's deeper than that. I somehow had the idea that he gave me a burden to carry various things to carry in life and that he stood behind me, you know, like the farmer and cracked a whip every now and again. No, it's more like this. It's not a yoke that goes over your, around your neck and over your shoulders. It's a yoke that it goes over one neck and over another neck. And there are two oxen. And he's one of them. That's why he says, I'm humble of heart, you know. I'm prepared to get in alongside you. And this thing that I'm teaching you, this way, that's what Christians were called in the beginning, you know, the people of the way. This way of walking with me, this way that makes eternal life so real to us. It's brought about by walking with me and leaning on the same yoke that is my yoke. And it's like two oxen, one of which is older and wiser and has ploughed the furrows before. And he's saying, come and join me. And we'll do this together. And we'll plough your furrows wherever they may be together. And he's stronger than me. And he's wiser than me. And he's done it before. It's an eternal partnership that's being offered. That's what it means to know God. That's what it means to find rest in him. He will do all of this with us. And he's assuring us here that his way with us will be gentle. I'll be gentle with you, he says. I'll remember who you are and what you are able to learn and how fast you can learn it. You will find rest if you walk with me. For my yoke is easy. That doesn't mean it's, you know, do it with your eyes shut. It means it fits you perfectly. That's what it means. It's an easy fit. Fits you perfectly. What I will ask you to do is for you alone. But we'll do it together. And that burden you will find is light. Because I will carry it with you. And on many occasions for you. And to go back to Spurgeon. The best way to believe is to believe. Oh, come and see that the Lord is good, you know. It's not about sitting back and being theoretical. It's about coming forward and trusting and being practical. And seeing that he's good for yourself. Hearing the music of eternity that changes everything. These are wonderful words that the Lord spoke. And my prayer is that he will bless them to you today. Now we're coming to the part in our service where we come to him in another sense. We come to remember him. You see, we forget so soon. 
we come to remember him in the way that he asked us to do. And so, having heard his word, let us just quiet our hearts as we come before him now to do this wonderful, simple, profound act of remembrance in taking the bread together and in drinking the cup together. We're going to sing a hymn together just to prepare us for this and it's hymn number 67 67 which um, come and see that's exactly the point come and see oh come and see come and see the king of love let's keep our seats and sing it hmm? sing it reflectively Come and see. 